This message was presented at the GYC 2013 conference, Before Man and Angels, in Orlando, Florida. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. remnant. <laughs> Amen. Many of you have been blessed this year. Amen. Um, I've been uniquely blessed. Uh, this has been a very different GYC experience for me. Um, but especially getting to see the great controversy uh, working out in my own life. Um, you know, I, I I was talking with a friend of mine, and she said, I'm praying for you, and I'm praying that as you prepare, that God would make the great controversy a reality in your life. And I said, why? <laughs> why are you praying that for me? I don't want that. But um, it's a blessing to represent God in our lives. It's a blessing to, to be an argument in this controversy, an argument in favor of God, to say that God is worthy of our trust, and because we trust Him, we obey Him. Amen? And that's a blessing and the privilege that we have. This morning, our message is, is a, a, I guess, a culmination of the messages that we've been sharing together in the mornings. Um, so let's bow our heads and we'll get started uh, this morning. Loving Father, we're thankful that you call us to be an argument in your favor. But Lord, we pray that the way we live our lives would be the way that Christ lived his life. We thank you that Jesus came to be an example for us and that because of his example and because he triumphed in our behalf, we can also have the victory. And we pray that as we open your word this morning, the Holy Spirit would be our teacher that you'd be the one to speak to our hearts and to our minds. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. Israel had been in apostasy. The worst king ever, Ahab. And he had led the nation into apostate state. You see, he had married uh, Jezebel, who was the daughter of the priest of uh, another god who is not their god. And this decision that he made to marry this woman who is not of Israel, who is not one of God's people, had a huge impact on the children of Israel. Huge. Jezebel came in and she had all of God's prophets killed. And she instated her, her own prophets. 450 prophets of Baal. So that the decisions that we make when it comes to that very important decision, the marital union, have huge Im impact on our ministry, on our ability to, to reach people, on our ability to have an impact in the world for Christ. And Ahab had made this decision, and it had brought the children of Israel into a terrible state. But then shows up Elijah, the prophet of God, mighty man of God. 
And he came and and he told Ahab that there was going to be a famine in the land for three years. And thereafter, God did something. He told Ahab, he told Elijah to call all those prophets together onto that mountain, and and they they were going to try to see whose God was the real God. And they brought their sacrifices. And all those prophets of Baal, all those priests, they came and, and they said, we, we want to see the God who will answer by fire. And so they, they started begging their God to bring fire down to burn the sacrifice, and no fire came. And the day wore on, and they kept trying and trying. They started cutting themselves. And you know, it's... I, I love the Bible. I think the Bible is so real, yeah? Because it tells us that Elijah started making fun of them. It's like, oh, cry a little louder. Maybe your God is sleeping. And so they cried a little louder. <laughs> Finally, when they gave up, Elijah comes. He makes the situation even more impossible than it had been before pouring water over the altar, over the sacrifice. And then they pray, he prays, and God answers by fire, consumes the sacrifice, the altar, everything around it, licks up all the water. Elijah, mighty man of God. But thereafter, the devil doesn't let up. He's tired After that, God gives him supernatural energy to run ahead of the king's chariot as the rain comes down. And he goes and he sleeps outside of the palace and Jezebel hears what just happened. She's not happy. And so she threatens Elijah and he knows that these are not empty threats, so he gets scared and he runs away. But you know what Elijah was saying as he ran away? He said, I am the only one left. I'm the only one left. I've, I've tried so hard to obey God. I've tried to do all these things. And nobody else is following God. And it's just me. There's no one else trying to do the right thing. It's just me. And he felt sad and he felt alone. And you know, sometimes, I know I had this experience when I was in college, going to a non-Aventist college, and, and you're there on campus, and sometimes it feels like you are the only one there. The only one who cares about spiritual things. The only one who's, who's got a burden to share the three angels' messages on your campus, and, and it can feel very lonely. And this is the experience that Elijah was having. Or in a workplace, in a corporate office, and, and it seems like there is no one else. That you are the only one. But you remember what God said to Elijah in response to that? He said, I have me how many? 7,000 who have not bowed the knee. Amen? So that even in those moments when it feels like you are the only one, God says, I know you can't see it right now, but I have 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee. I have me 7,000. 
And so our story for this morning actually starts after Elijah is up there, you know, praying and, and hears that still small voice. And then God speaks to him. And he gives him certain instructions. So in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 15, the Lord said unto Elijah, Go return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, shall thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. And so he left from there, and he went to find Elisha. Now, Elisha was in the fields working with his father. And you know how God had said, I have me 7,000 who have bowed the knee? Elisha's family was actually one of the families of those who had not bowed the knee. See, even though it seemed like everybody was in apostasy, there were, some, there were people who were not. And so God says, I want you to go find this guy, Elisha. And Elisha and his family have been faithful. They have been faithful in everything that they've been doing. And so he goes and he finds Elisha, and Elisha is plowing the fields. Now, when you think about someone that God calls, a lot of times you think about people who are doing huge, great, amazing things. Like they're... they're, they're out there, like preaching, uh, evangelistic series, and then you're like, yeah, that's the kind of person that God would pick. But Elisha was in the fields, plowing the fields, so that Elisha, for when he got called, it's because he was being faithful in the little things. He was being faithful in the things that, in the, in, the, in the work that was closest to him. He was being faithful in doing his homework. He was being faithful in doing his assignments, in studying for his exams. He was being faithful in, in his relationship with his siblings. He was being faithful in the small things that sometimes we think are insignificant. And yet, if we want to do great things for God, it starts with faithfulness in little things. It starts with faithfulness in the, in the small things that are closest to us. That's where great things for God begin. And that's the problem that we have, is we want, we want to do these huge, amazing things. And, and God is saying, I just want you to be faithful where you are. I would like for your life in, in, your, in your current experience to, to be an argument in my favor because, because you treat people kindly. 
faithfulness in small things. So my challenge, my first challenge, we're going back home soon. It's for us to be faithful in the small things, in taking our exams, in the way we do our homework, in the way we interact with our classmates. Faithfulness in the small things, in our relationships, the way we treat people. Faithfulness in the small things. That is going to be the first and greatest challenge as we leave this place. But Elisha was there and he was working the fields. Oh, by the way, you know, when we're faithful in small things, you know, I heard this story once. There was a young lady who she was taking a history class and she was faithful in her classwork. She did all her homework. She handed in her assignments on time. She paid attention in class, participated. And at the end of the semester, she was attending a secular university. At the end of the semester, she went up to her professor and she handed him the great controversy. And she said, Professor X, this book has been a blessing in my life. And, and I think that you will appreciate the contents of this book. And what do you think? Do you think he took the book or did he not take the book? He took it. He took the book and he said, Student X, because it's you who's giving me this book, I am likely to read it. Amen. You see, it's an evangelistic tool. It's, it's an opportunity for people to look at you and say, well, this, this student is, is not stupid. So they, there must be something to what they're saying. There must be something to them, to, to their life, because they see its fruit working out in your life. And, and in the small things, you're putting God first and doing well in your classes, and they say there's something to this. And I think it's part of what Jeffrey had been talking about you know, so for the, for the nations to come, uh, tugging at our sleeves, saying, I want to know what you have. You know, and they come to you and they say, you know, I don't know how it is that you do well in this class, but I want to know what you have. And I had that experience once. I thought I was super lost in my physics class, sitting there just lost in the sauce, you know. And, and, and several classmates came to me and they said, Siku, could we study with you? And I said, uh, yeah, okay. And like, yeah, you just, you just looks like you have it together. I thought, man, I'm lost in the sauce. <laughs> but it becomes an opportunity to share the God that we have. And you say, you know what? Even when I don't understand, I pray that God would give me understanding. And you say, before I study, every single time, before I crack a book open to study, I pray that God would give me wisdom because, because God is the source of all wisdom. And if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask from God who giveth liberally, and he upbraideth not. And you tell them that. Faithfulness in the small things. And so Elisha, verse 19, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing 
with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he with the 12th and Elijah passed him by and cast his mantle upon him. And in that action of Elijah casting his mantle upon him, after that you read that Elisha went running after Elijah, he recognized something significant in that act of Elijah casting his mantle upon him. And, and you know, first I was like, this doesn't make sense. Like, why, why would he run after the prophet because he heard, he, he saw him casting his mantle upon him? But Elisha recognized the call of God in that action. And how is that possible? I don't know any other story in the Bible before this where, you know, someone goes and casts their mantle upon, upon the individual and that represents the call. I mean, how did he know? Except to say that Elisha had learned how to understand the voice of God. He had learned what the voice of God sounded like. And it's our privilege to learn the voice of God so that when we hear the voice of God, we will understand that it is God calling us. You know, um, when I was in my senior year in college, I, I sensed that God was calling me to take a year and get trained in campus ministry because I'd seen the, the potential and, and I thought if I were better trained, maybe I could be more effective if I were better trained. But, but this was incongruent with the plan of my life. And I, I struggled with this decision until finally it came to a point where I knew that if I didn't do this, it would be blatant disregard of God's will for me at that time. I knew it. And so finally I gave up. I said, okay, you know, let go of the dream job and do this campus ministry training thing. But it wasn't easy because my family also had plans for me, good plans. I remember talking to my sister, and she said, you know, I don't know what it is that God's calling you to. She said, you know, sometimes when God calls you, you're the only one who will understand what he's calling you to. Because he's not talking to everybody, he's talking to you. Look at Moses. Moses had every advantage anyone could ever want. He belonged to the people of God, and yet he had been trained in the best schools. So while the people of God were in bondage, he was in the palace. He had every advantage. He had every protection because his mother was the daughter of Pharaoh, well, his adoptive mother. And, and in spite of all these things, it says that Moses decided that it was better to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Do you think the people around him understood what he was doing? Do you think they looked at him and said, that makes a lot of sense? No, it made no sense. But Moses knew what God was calling him to. And Elisha knew what God was calling him to. 
And in that act, he recognized the voice of God and he obeyed. So the challenge becomes that we need to learn the voice of God. And that doesn't happen in an instant. That happens on a day-to-day basis, spending time in his word, those morning and evening devotions, and then throughout the day, spending time in prayer. Elisha recognized the voice of God, and he followed. And so he tells us that in verse 20, he left the oxen and ran, ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And, and in that statement, Elijah was saying, You know, I'm not going to force you to come with me. This, I'm not going to... It's up to you if you want to follow this, if you want to do this. And so he went back in verse 21, and, and he took the yoke of oxen, slew them, and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen, and gave unto the people, and they did eat. He went back, he slew the oxen, he said, I am done with this life. No turning back. I have set my face like a flint, and I'm not turning back. I have made my decision that I'm going to follow God, and I'm not turning back. No turning back. And we have too few examples of this in the world. What, 50% of marriages ending in divorce in the church? We don't even know what commitment is anymore. It's just words. And so we say we'll do something and we don't do it. But Elisha committed. He made a decision and he wasn't going to turn back on that decision. And that is going to be the hard part. The decisions that we've made here at GYC. The decisions that God has called us to. The hard part is do we set our faces like a flint and we say, no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus and I'm not turning back. Even when the going gets tough, I am not turning back. No turning back. Elisha made that decision. And then it says he arose and went after Elijah. Elisha, when he left to go with Elijah, he didn't leave behind bad things. You follow? See, his, his parents were godly parents. Even when the entire nation of Israel seemed to be in apostasy, his parents remained faithful. They were part of that 7,000. And so what Elisha was leaving behind was not bad things. And sometimes we think that to follow God, we have to be leaving bad things. Isn't it possible that sometimes God calls us to leave things that are even good? Look at Jesus. Jesus came down to this earth And in John 1, it tells us that the light came into the world and and the darkness comprehended it not. Jesus came to this earth and he was unappreciated. 
that that he was on this earth and 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 it seemed like nobody liked him even you know one minute they're following the next minute they're not and 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 the the multitude is so fickle but what did jesus leave in heaven he left adoring angels who would do anything for him he left the love of his father with whom he had always been they had never been apart when christ came to this earth he didn't give up bad things he gave up good things so yes we must give up the bad things amen but sometimes maybe god calls us to give up even the good things to follow him wholeheartedly you look at the life of abraham abraham had the son of promise of whom it was said that in isaac shall thy seed be blessed and then god tells him abraham i want you to take your son your only son isaac and i want you to sacrifice him to me and so we'll argue with god and say no it doesn't make any sense these things are good but god calls us sometimes to give up the things that are even good because you know why because we love him supremely and that's why jesus came he came because he loved us so much that even he was even willing to give up those things that were good so that we could have a shot at salvation are we willing to do that for others and and i'm i'm fearful saying this because i realize that it's true that maybe some of us need to give up that really good job because we know god is calling us to something else and the problem that we have with it is god this is a good thing i prayed for this job you gave me this job and then god says since you know that i'm the one who gave you that job give it back to me since you know that i am the giver of all good gifts give it back to me and it becomes a thing where we're not just giving 10% of our income but god says what if you give more and for some of us and this this goes for a, a knowledge of of like i said this is about knowing god's voice like you hear his voice you understand that it's him speaking and once we know that we have to follow and what i'm what i'm trying to say is it is possible that it is his voice that is asking you to let go of something that you know is a good thing that relationship that you know is an, an awesome awesome thing and he says maybe 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 i i need you to give that up right now for the sake of the cause it is possible is what i'm saying and so elisha he follows he runs after elijah and the bible says that he ministered unto him now firstly when i thought about 
you know, Elisha going after Elijah. I thought, you know, he probably went and then, you know, he became like uh, the assistant prophet or like associate prophet kind of thing where um, he got to do some miracles too and, and like all this cool, crazy stuff. But the Bible says that Elisha followed and he ministered unto Elijah. He went and he was Elijah's personal assistant. Which means, like you know, back in the day they'll walk in the dust and, and they get to a place and they have to wash their feet. He'd be the one washing his feet. So that Elisha's work wasn't some glamorous Wow, he's just so awesome thing. Elisha, he went from plowing fields, being faithful in the small things, to doing small things. And he was willing to let go of being, you know, he was, you know, he's the son of his father, so everything the father has is, is his, essentially. He left all of that to go do small things. And this is what I struggled with for years in my ministry. I went to a good enough school that when you graduate, there are certain expectations of what you're going to do with your life. And I hated going to reunions type stuff, you know, like when a friend gets married and, and you have to go and meet everybody. I hated it. Why? Because every time people would say, oh, so what are you doing? And I'd be like, oh, um, yeah, I'm... I work for the church. And they were like, oh, cool. Like, like um, are you like a bishop? <laughs> and I'll say, oh, uh, no, we don't have bishops in my church. Um, I'm a secretary. And they would look at me like, all that education to be a secretary? Why did you study biochemistry? I was so embarrassed. And, and my friends would be like, oh, you know, I'm just, you know, finishing up on the PhD part of my MD-PhD, and, and then um, I'm applying for residencies in, like, cardiology. I'm thinking, oh, man. Because it felt to me like I, I left what could potentially have been these amazing things, at least as the world sees amazing, to be a, me, a, a measly, is that a word? Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> secretary. But does God need secretaries? Amen. And it took me years to get to the point where I realized. I realized what that text means when it says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. That I would rather be where God wants me to be. And even if I'm a sweeper in God's kingdom, I want to be there. And we still have this idea of what greatness is. And we view greatness the way the world views greatness. And because of that, we won't do what God is calling us to do. One thing that uh, frustrated me, a friend of mine told me how at Seminary X, which is not 
Andrews Seminary, but at a, in a different part of the world. He said that, you know who goes to the seminary to become a pastor? It's those people who failed at everything else. As a matter of fact, one of my friends went to the seminary because he couldn't get into his accounting program. Makes me so mad. God's work is a last resort. Oh, I want to do great things with my life, and, and that's too small, small for me. But God wants people with engineering brains, with, with history brains, with biology brains. He wants people who, who are diligent in their work, in his ministry. Now, I'm not saying that everybody needs to go full-time ministry, you understand? I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that why is God's work of lesser value in our eyes than every other work? Why is it that when we think of pastoral ministry or when you think about, you know, a person who is a secretary in a conference office or when you think about this or that, we're like, oh, well, you know, that's what you do when you can't do anything else. Why is that? We have a problem. Our value system is off because God's work is the highest order of work. This means that the secretary, who is not a secretary in the conference office, I mean just the secretary or, or the accountant or, or, or whomever, that ultimately it better be about God's work in your workplace. That regardless of where we're working, regardless of, of, of what circumstance we're in, that number one thing for us is to do God's work. That that is what we've been called to do. So that if he calls us to do anything more, we will obey. And there are some people in here who maybe God is calling to full-time ministry. But because of our, our, our skewed value system, you're thinking, well, I haven't failed at anything, everything else. And praise God, sometimes, you know, he, he does permit that will fail at everything else so that he can call us to, to, to do that thing that he wants to call us to. But why does it have to go that far? Why don't we just trust him when we hear his voice obey? And so Elisha comes and he ministers to Elijah. Until finally Elijah was called up to go to heaven and he saw him ascending that chariot. Now, God wants something from us. And I've talked already about faithfulness in the small things. I've talked about hearing his voice and obeying. Even if it sounds contrary to logic. 
But God wants something more from us. God wants all of us. Yes, all of us, but all of us. Like the whole you. He wants all of you. He wants for your whole life to, to be surrendered to him as a sacrifice that is living. That's what God wants from us. Story about um, a little boy who brought everything that he had to Jesus. And uh, they were there and there were 5,000 people plus and the people were hungry. Jesus needed to feed them. And they said, we don't have anything. And so Jesus asked, what, 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 is, what, what, what do you have in your hands? Like nobody has nothing. And they said, well, there's a little boy and he has uh, his own sack lunch. And said, he said, bring it to me. And this little boy brings his lunch to Jesus. Thinking, what is this little thing among so many? What does it help, this, this small sacrifice that I have? What's my little life compared to, to the needs that I see in the world? I remember driving on Story Drive in Boston, and it was a Friday evening, and, and I was looking around me and all these people, and I thought, Lord, do they even know that it's Sabbath today? And I felt so small. Like, what can I do? I am just me, and there's a whole city here full of people who have no clue no idea. And I felt so insignificant. But even though we are small, when we bring our little lunches to Jesus and we give him all, he takes that and he blesses it. And then when he blesses it, it multiplies. And as it multiplies, it becomes a blessing to so many more people. But what he needs from us is that we would bring all. Is that we would give him all. That we would commit ourselves. We would say, you know what? It seems like nothing. And I feel so small. And what does it matter what little decision that I make? And even if I commit my life and I say, okay, I hear your voice calling me, Lord, and, and I know there's a decision I have to make, but what difference does it make in the grand scheme of things? And that's how we may feel, but God says, I just want you to bring all. Just give me all of you. Give me all of you. And if we would just give him all of us, maybe he could bless and multiply. Maybe our lives could be a blessing to somebody else. I'd like to invite us to make some decisions this morning. And I would like for them to be premeditated decisions. 
So these are the kind of decisions you've been thinking about this. God has been speaking to your heart. You recognize his voice. You want to obey him. It may seem illogical, but you know that it is God calling you. And you want to commit your life to those decisions that you know God is calling you to. I would like to invite us to make, to take a stand in saying, God, I want to make that commitment. When I leave here, I'm going to be faithful in the small things. When I leave here, I want you to use me. I, seem, I feel like I'm small and insignificant, but on that huge campus, I want you to use me. Maybe one person will be snatched from the arms of the enemy. But I want you to use me. I'm not inviting you to come forward. I'm inviting you to stand where you are. As my friend Naomi sings a song, I'm going to invite you to stand where you are. And as she sings this song, the commitment that we're making in our heart, that it be solidified by the words of this music. And so as you listen to the words that 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 this commitment that we are making will be solidified by the words we're hearing. What if I give all I 
Father, what if we would give all the same way that you gave all? That you emptied heaven in that one gift of Christ so that we could have salvation made available to us. Lord, no sacrifice is too great in response. There is no call that you'd ever call us to that could ever amount to anything similar to what Christ has done, to us, done for us. And so, Lord, you see all the individuals who are standing here. You read their hearts and you know the commitments that they are making. It's our prayer that you would seal these decisions in heaven. Lord, take these decisions and make them a reality by your grace, through your power. We want to see Jesus come back soon, Father. We want to be part of those people who hasten his soon return. And all in all, we'd like our lives to be an argument in your favor. That God is worthy. He's worthy of all our praise, 
He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our whole lives given back to Him. Lord, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, please visit us online at www.gycweb.org.